Hello, and welcome to Traeger Method Podcast. This is episode number 50, part two. This is part two of my conversation with Ian Mackay. If you haven't listened to number one yet, I would, I would recommend listening to that one first before this, but hey, you do what you want to do. In the first half of our conversation, we talked a lot about old school stuff, minor threat, touring in the 80s, things like that. In this one, we get into a broad range of subjects, very broad, from the nature of reality, consciousness, the future, all the way to minutia, like the difference between a Plymouth scamp and a duster. Everything you want, need to hear, and didn't even know you wanted to hear. You'll find it all in the second half of our conversation. Thank you so much for listening. Enjoy the second half, part two of my conversation with Ian Mackay. Yeah, I know. I have to say that I've never thought about the future really. It's a gift. <laughs> I just figured. I figured you know it'll show up when it's present, right? Then then yeah. it's the present, right? Right. So that's that. And yeah, I'm not. I I I think as a kid, I had an, I had a, a grapple with existence early on, probably eleven or something. I really lost my mind what happened what, what was the uh just, well, i remember the, the thing that sparked it there was a, a couple of things one was i saw a true crime magazine in my local pharmacy mm-hmm. pearson's drugs they had a magazine rack i used to peruse and there's one of these true crime magazines and it was a story in there about a famous well i guess it's famous and it was a family that was murdered i think in indiana or something the whole family, it was just like there's in a farmhouse and some guy came and killed everybody. And there was a photo of like two big white coffins and three little white coffins. Yeah. And it just hit me so hard that, you know, the f- death, like it was so random. This guy just walked up and killed them. And, um, and I just became <clears throat> really freaked out. I, you know, I couldn't sleep and I was scared about, you know, dying and being killed by somebody and thinking a murderer was coming. So that was going on. But then at some point, maybe later, a little later, maybe a year later, I was on the front porch talking to my sister, Katie and her other, her boyfriend, I think Michael, and we're looking at the sky talking about stars. I go, I wonder how many stars there are. And they said, nobody knows. I'm like, well, there must be a limit of, you know, limit. Like there must, how many are there? And then they're like, nobody like, well, how far does it go? And like, nobody knows. <laughs> and at that point I saw like, I think in my mind, I had just come to this thing, like just having been raised in a church, like there's like the world and then there's like space and then there's heaven. So there's like a limit, there's yeah. a wall and heaven <laughs> above the wall. The three layer take say, of reality. Right. And then there was something like, Wait a minute, so where is heaven? And all of a sudden, I go, there's no heaven. I'll, that's what I thought to myself. And I just started to like, everything was like, you know, my brain was going crazy. And I remember I called my dad, who's a, at the time the religious editor of the Washington Post. Right, right. So I called him up and I was you know, freaking out. And I said, what? what? There's no heaven. And he's like, well, there's, you know, we believe in the concept of heaven or whatever, right? but there's no heaven. I go, what's going to happen? He goes, this is why people go to church. I go, and, I'm, and I, you know, I don't know what I said to him at the time, but really what I felt was unsatisfactory answer. <laughs> <laughs> Hanging out with a bunch of people is not going to do it for me. Right. It's just, I just realized it was that moment of sink or swim for me. Yeah. I realized that nobody has any real idea. No. And I think at that point, even though I wouldn't have been been able to articulate it at the time, is really where I decide, I realized that, for me at least, the real mission in life is to make peace with inc- incomprehensibility. Like the things you can't, you cannot comprehend, make peace with that and let it be. Yeah, it doesn't matter. We don't need to know. What we need to do is be, and be well do well. That's my shit. Like just do the thing and stay on it. And, and there's no, there's nothing to be scared of. It's just, I mean, I can tell you this death is the second most natural thing in life. Everybody does it. It has to be okay. Ultimately. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, I think about that. When I think about stuff like climate change, I'm like, well, you know, what's the difference between death, imaginary death of all things and imaginary death of self? They're both things in the imagination. You right. know what I mean? It's, 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 they're both, ultimately, it's all in the imagination. So this is sort of my, so I think even back then, so I think at that point on, I've always just sort of like, all right, well, just, so even like as a kid, people say, where do you see yourself in five years? And I go, I'm, I'm not looking. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to answer that. I wouldn't answer that question. Yeah. It seemed like a ridiculous question. Five years. I mean, my God, three months is about the, the length I like to think about things. Right. You know, like. Especially when you're like 15 or 14. Yeah, Jesus Christ. Yeah. And like, or when I first started playing in band, they're like, well, where do you see this going? Like, I don't see it going. I see it doing. Right. Like, that's what we're doing. I'm doing this right now. Yeah. And it feels right. Yeah. I also remember having this experience where I thought I was going to be killed by a car. I heard a car screeching when I was in high school. I was in 11th grade, I think. You know, I didn't get hit. I wasn't killed. And there was actually no car. It was just like an echo or something. But I was lost in a, a dream when it happened. So I, just, I got startled. But I started thinking, like, shit, if I had gotten killed at that very moment, I, I would have been spent most of my sort of thinking life in like engaging in institutions. Like my whole life was like going to school. And like, so you're, and even summers or weekends were just these sort of periods of free time. They're like the, you know, but with the, it's like the, the, like the a no man's land between the two walls of school. Of institutions, right? Like right. everything is like, everything was structured. And I thought this can't be what life is for. I can't believe this is the way life is supposed to be. We're supposed to like, just be in a, in a structure like this institutional structure. And at that moment I thought, I am not going to go to college. There's no way I'm going to volunteer to go to college for four and four more years of this. And then when I started learning that, that, that we had no money and I would have to take a loan, I definitely was not going to do that. Like take a loan to then I have to pay it back, which we have to get a job. So then I'm really locked down. You're on the train. Uh, yeah. That. Then punk came flying in. Yeah. That was like that later that year by when I got into punk and I was like, all right, I'll do that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I remember the same thing in high school being, uh, you know, when seven seconds was like, Hey, you can tour the country with us. And I was like, or I could do my senior year in high school. And I was like, I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, I want to see the country, you know, I want to see the world and, and get out there and yeah. Right. See something. Not Fully. Just, yeah. I think that I really, and my parents, I have to say my parents, I've often always said my parents are supportive. I didn't realize that was code for, they were paying my rent. Mm-hmm. They were not paying my rent at all. Like there was no money, but they always did. I think with all the kids where they said like, you guys do what's right for you. Like live your life. And so I think all the Makai kids are all kind of like, we've, we're kind of a, all a little eccentric in that way, you know? And um, I'm really great. I'm grateful for that. Cause there was never any pressure to get real because yeah. we were real. Yeah. And our parents recognize that. Yeah. I remember going to, you took me to dinner at your house once with the family and your folks and, and be at the Beecher street house. And I yeah. remember thinking like, what a wonderful family, what a wonderful home and the feeling of, uh, yeah, your parents being intellectuals, people of, like you were saying of words and, and yeah. thought and, and my parents too. I mean, my mom is a librarian. My dad was a school teacher, you know, people who think and, but yeah, coming to that, that house as a teenager with you and, and Alec and your sisters and folks and just being like, and all of DC had that very cerebral, yeah. it was a very intellectual punk scene. You know, these kids were from these interesting backgrounds and DC also coming from the West coast suburbia, like it seems so old and, and uh, mysterious and kind of, you know, ancient seeming to me right. from, from, That's you know, funny. yeah. I mean, especially walking around Georgetown, I'm like, this is like from the 1600s. That's like, you know, incomprehensibly old. And so, yeah, it just, it, I mean, I, I think back to that and I've always felt so lucky to have met you when I was a little kid, really, you know, and, and, uh, you know, you're older than me by what, five, six years. And, um, yeah, and, but that difference is so huge. And the fact that you were, um, so kind to me and so inviting to have. I remember, I think I was trying to get you to move to Washington at one point, wasn't I? Yeah. Well, I was, yeah. I was all about it, you know, but. That'd be a good, good hang. Yeah. I remember actually, it was funny. I remember um, one time you were talking about Fugazi starting and you were like, 
you're like, Hey, move here. Maybe you could be in the band, you know? And I was like, yeah. I was like, cause you were like, yeah, it's just starting. And I remember thinking, Oh yeah, that's like, like the thing that I guess what I'm saying about you is I always felt like you were always this person who was so about like possibility. You can do things, you know, right. there's nothing that's beyond your, uh, what you want to go for, you know? And I feel like I look back on my life and I often think, you know, so many times I was stopped by fear or by, I don't know, my chemistry. Sometimes I just feel like I have like a depressive uh, element to myself. But you know, the older I've gotten, that's become much more tame and much more, um, uh, I'm much more accepting of the factors that make me, that if, you know, I need to protect myself at different points in my life, I think. And so I accept, I don't look back and go, God damn it, I was such a stupid person for doing that. It's like, no, I'm just a, I'm just a person trying to, you know, survive and live and and do what's right for me. And not everybody's born with, you know, the most adventure or I'm like a real combination because I have the super adventurous spirit, but also I've lived very fear based at different points in my life. Right. I don't I don't know why, you know. I can't look back and I mean, say it's also why. possible that I'm just oblivious. You know. It's not it hasn't I haven't I haven't that hasn't escaped me entirely. This idea that sometimes like I'm just kind of like just like, why? I'll just do this now. <laughs> just not thinking. Of, people often say, you're not, like, God, you don't, you're not being, you're not taking other these other things into account. Like, like, well, I'm not not taking into account. Like, I'm just doing what I'm doing. And I'm not right. trying. To, like, it's interesting. A lot of times, I think early on, I think I realized that, like, if you do something, other people feel like somehow you've done it to them. Right. Yeah. And I'm, or you, or you've done it. They weren't able to do it because you did it, or there's some. They're always weird stuff like that. Scarcity and, mentality. And there's and I. And to be honest with you, there are things that I thought about doing or I wanted to do that I didn't do because I didn't want people around me to feel like, oh, he did that now. Now he's done this, and you know, they, right. oh, good for him. Or like, you know, can I get? I do get. There are opportunities that people extend to me, like, oh, you want to do this thing or do that, whatever it is, like, you know be in a movie or whatever the fuck it is. I don't sure. know, but I always have to stop and just think about it. Like I think, well, you know, I, I'm aware of sometimes people, I, I think they just get sick of hearing about me. I even don't podcast. People are like, Oh, I heard you on another podcast. And I'm like, no, I'm sorry. You know, I'm just right. Yeah. People joke sometimes you know, like, Oh, Ian McKay's in the punk documentary. And it's like, well, yeah, of course he's going to be in it. You know, it's right. like, and, and yeah. And that's part of why, like in this conversation, I'm, you know, I'm like, I don't want to talk to you about any of that stuff that everybody's heard before, you know, cause it's like, you know, yeah, you have, but, but it is. Just well, it's weird to, but I should, should say something that's weird is that if people have thought about it, like I've never been paid to be interviewed by anybody. <laughs> right. 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 There might've been one, one time where it's like I was paid a train ticket or something, but generally speaking, like all these podcasts and these documentaries and stuff, I don't get paid. It's not like I'm getting, I don't get, there's nothing I'm getting out of it. Like no, you're anything, contributing to history. To I feel like, yeah, people, I feel like yeah. I'm trying to honor something that was important to a lot of us. And right. I'm, I am a bit of a, I do have a journalistic flair. I do. I have a memory. It's in I mean, blood. one thing about me is that say what you want, you know, I didn't drink and I didn't use drugs and my brain is still some, I remember things, you know, and more than a lot of people I know, who I'm not saying there's not a critique of them at all. I just literally, I've talked to so many people who just have no memory whatsoever <laughs> yeah. of anything. Yeah. And they say to me, God, thank God you remember this stuff. Um, but I, you know, I've said this in other interviews, but I, I'm a Jimi Hendrix fanatic. I, I remember you, you, I mean, your Hendrix library and being yeah. so amazed, like, Oh, Ian, Brenda. I mean, this is all like, right here. That's all. These are all CD Hendrix CDs and stuff, yes. you know. So, in 1975, this is five years after he died. Right. Five years, That's right? Amazing. So that would have been 2016 by this today's standards, right? Right, right. I met people who saw Hendrix. Yeah. And I said, "What was it like?" And to a person, they're like, "I don't remember. I was high." <laughs> <laughs> I talked to Tim, Tim Johannan saw Hendrix. Yeah. He and I, remember, remember. I remember asking him, he's like, all I remember was, was purple and like yeah. a fog. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. like a purple haze. And he's like, yeah. 
yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> and then it was really loud, and it was like a purple fog. And I was like, so you just remember a purple haze and a really loud volume? He's like, yeah, it was on three hits of Owsley Acid. Right, exactly. So yeah. then I'm, but for me, like when I saw The Bad Brains for the first time, which would have been in June of 1979, opening for The Damned at the Bayou, where I had a fake ID with the name Kirk Mullings on it. And I didn't even remember <laughs> how I got the ID. Like seeing that show, I remember like, I never want to forget this. I want to remember this. I want to be able to tell some fucking dude on a technology that doesn't even exist yet in 40 years or 41 or 42 years. I want to tell him about this moment. Yeah. And here I am. So I think that's yeah. sort of the, that sort of was my thinking. So I think that when I do all these interviews, I actually turned down an enormous amount of interview requests because sure, yeah. though I could weigh in on virtually any uh, goddamn thing, I often say like, I think people have had enough of me, but if you can do an interview, like if you can do a documentary on say seven seconds, yeah, I feel like you've got to get me in the picture. I, you know, I played a role in that band, you know, of course, of course. Yeah, you know? no, I think it's, I think it's wonderful that you know, I, I'm just also so glad that we're here. Like, you know, you get to this age, it's like, yeah, so many things could have taken you out one wrong move in a car or something or, sure. you know, and so to be here and be able to share it. And I love that you're doing this archive project. Now you're, 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 you know, working with what university is it? Actually, I'm not, it's, it's more, more, it's actually discord archive. Yeah, so right, the discord. Archive. So I've actually been working on this for 12 years now. Mm -hmm. It's really started with a guy named Peter Alexic, who was from NYU. And he, he was, um, do you know Jim Cohen, the filmmaker? Oh yeah, Jim Cohen, sure. So Jim, so Peter had met Jim and Jim up in New York and, and he was helping Jim try to get all of his films in order. And Jim, of course, who I went to high school with, has spent a lot of time down here at Discord and left a bunch of stuff here. So Peter asked if he could come down and just inventory what stuff Jim had here. So he came down and then he saw my room and my collection and he was like, whoa <laughs> he was like then he wrote me and said can i make you my thesis so he came back down he spent like a summer or like a month basically organizing all the fugazi audio we're talking about thousands of tapes sure. creating a, a database explain to me how databases work explaining the benefit of giving everything a number um and he put it all into order and that's what really led though the idea was already germinating but that's what made the live series possible the website um so he was the first thing and then a woman named lindsey hobbs who was a library of congress who i just i used to take walks with my kid every morning i for the first three years of my son carmine's life he and i would take an hour-long walk every morning no matter what rain or snow and i used to see this one the i used to walk against all the um commuters walking to the subway and I'd walk in the opposite direction to look at their faces just to kind of feel life. And there was this one person who I didn't know at all, but she, you know, when you can say that my punk dar was on, I was like, she, I think she a punk, you know? <laughs> and then, dar. so then I was like at a, I went to a photo show at the transformer gallery on peace street here in Washington. And I'm outside talking and there she is. And I go, Hey, you, you're, I know you. And she's like, I know you too. And she was going to work at the Library of Congress. So then oh. she came out and started, she came out and she said they can, she was doing some kind of, she had to do some project for her, some class she was doing, extracurricular thing. So she organized all my flyers, scanned everything, put them into a database. And then I worked with a woman named Mary Noxon, who did all the records. And then this woman, Nicole Prokopinko, who worked at the Smithsonian Folklife Archives. I met her. I went down there to visit that place and she was looking through paper, like don't work on some letters. I said, Oh, I have some questions for you. I got all these letters. I'm trying to figure out how to, how do you guys organize them? What's the, like, what's the, pro I just don't know the process. How do you right, do it? Yeah. And then she said, well, let me come take a look. And so she came out and we had a cup of tea and she said, let me volunteer. I said, I'll pay you to volunteer. And so she worked, she'd worked with me for six years. She, she's amazing. Um, so she, the, the archives, like it's, I've, it's like an ongoing project. Um, now, the University of Maryland, John Davis, who used to be in his band called Q Not You, which on Discord, yeah, right. great band. Um, he has this amazing fanzine collection in the University of Maryland. So I have also have a 
pretty incredible fanzine collection because I was collecting them all along. Um, so he, we made a deal, the discard archive and university of Maryland where they would scan all of the zines and rehouse them into individual acid-free, you know, folders. Um, and in return, then they give them back to me in return. They get, um, all the scans, which they'll post and doubles of which I had many. Um, so that's the, so that is a connection I have with the university, university of Maryland. Um, and then there's the DC punk library, the DC public library punk archive, which is amazing. So we're kind of, I'm kind of partners with them too. Um, but actually the house where I'm sitting right now is part of the collection because I think discord house is probably the, certainly the oldest and maybe the sole remaining punk group house. Like you toured. So you know that you would pull to a town, you'd stay at the house. Like there was like these different always places. And this is one of the, they did you stay in this house? Of course. Yeah. So they're gone, those houses. Yeah. They're gone like hell. And uh so I kind of feel like this house is part of that collection. But I'm not really interested in like people say you should get a historical designation. I don't care about that. Come a punk. It's also we're using it, it's still working. It's a yeah. working. It's a facility. So the archives, people say, why are you doing the archives? There's a number of reasons. One is um, I have a lot of stuff. I've accumulated a lot of stuff. I'm almost 60 and I've only lived in three houses my entire life. It's amazing. I own two of them and my dad still lives in the first one. So I never had to move and I didn't have to make that decision about what to take and what to, what to not take. So right. I got it all, Right. I'm not a hoarder, but I got a lot of stuff, but it was all my, it was all intermingled. So when I started, when Amy and I got together, I decided I need to get out of discord house. I'd lived here for 21 years and it was too weird to have people visiting. Cause I became a docent in my own house. Like I was showing them, giving the tour. Right. And then I thought, okay, now I need to get my personal stuff. Cause it was all intermingled because my life was all one thing. So I had to really, and I'm still working on it, get my personal stuff out of the other stuff. And that's the process of getting it organized so that when I die, like, it'll be clear, like, that's this collection. That's this collection. That's, I'm just trying to make it easy on people. Sure. Um, also, while I still got the brain, I might as well identify things. I can, I can literally look in this room right now, looking around this office. And I can pick up something and tell you exactly what it is. Yeah. And I'm the only person who can do that. Right. So I figured might as well get it done now. Um, but it's taking a long time. Sure. Uh, I wish you could see it. I think you get a kick out of it. I just oh, recently- I'd love to. I mean, I'll definitely, yeah. when this COVID madness is over, I'd love to come out and see you guys again. Yeah. That's good. It's been. I'm, and, I'm curious. There was, yeah. I remember the first time I came to the Discord house, uh, I had sent you something when I was probably like 12 or 13 years old, um, this, this little handbill for my band, the deprived that had a skull and it said six, 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 you fuckers. Yeah. That sounds familiar. Yeah. And, and I remember I walked into the Discord house like in 86, this would have been like four or five years later. And it was on the, on, it was taped on a wall. And I was, it was like, on this door right here. <laughs> it was on this door. Let me see if it's still up there. Okay. It might, it might still be up there. Let's see. I'm not sure. <laughs> it's not on uh, nowhere. Well, actually, it might have been on the wall right behind me over here. This okay. wall, right there. But the, all that stuff, I have. Okay, um, I'm, I'm sure. Uh, I mean, you sent me a letter. Yeah. I sent you when I was like 14. But uh, yeah. but seeing that was just like what the actual like I completely forgotten I was like who even drew that that was me and I was like what the fuck and then you put it on the wall and I just seeing it and you were like I had no idea you know it was yours but uh, just blew I think we my... just thought it was hilarious yeah I'm sure it's just so weird like what the six fuck? six six you fuckers I mean we thought punks are hilarious we I was into a... venom I was into venom yeah. pretty early on but, oh uh, you had a good venom story for you okay in 1981 Jeff and I. Um, we were, it was the end of 81. We were trying to do the Fletcher head compilation. Sure. We didn't have any money. So 
we were trying to figure out how to get money up to make pay for the pressing. And there was a distributor up in New York called Important Records. Yes. And they called and said, hey, can we do an exclusive? I said, no, you can't. No, there's no, we're not doing any exclusives. They said, well, how, you know, well, can we at least talk about, it? can we fly you up to New York and well, we can talk about it? So we said, I guess so. I mean, we were just kids. So I remember they bought us tickets on Apple Air. It was like the New York little airline like this goes from new york to washington mm-hmm. maybe there's one to boston i don't know but it was a commuter line and i remember on the plane they give you a they don't give you a snack they give you a nosh and it's like oh yeah new york <laughs> yeah yeah and then so we went and we i forgot how we got out to the they were out in jamaica in Queens. way out and um in new york and then we so we went to a the office and we had the meeting we actually made a deal with them where they pre-bought a thousand copies of the record and that gave us enough money to pay for the pressing, which worked out great because we made 2000 I think. Or maybe about 500 we made 1000 I don't remember. But in any event, I was talking to the, one of the, the buyers, the guys who buys the records and you know, who's on the phone with the stores and all that. And he goes, oh, man, you might check, you check this out. You might like this. And he pulled out the single, no sleeve, and he puts it on. And is it In League with Satan, the first single? Yeah, right. And I just heard it and I thought, oh, I really like this. This is incredible. And he goes, you can have it. And I still have that single. Awesome. I was, my mind was blown. That would have been probably December 81. Yeah. You know, in league with Satan. Evil. So, in yeah. League with Satan. Yeah. That made a big impression on me. It's funny. You, you love, I think, but well, you're like a, um, I don't know if you're a, you're, were you a D and D guy? No, I mean I was adjacent to it. My 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 first punk friend group was half D and D kind of Devo people, and then like half hardcore people. Like there's about six yeah. of us. Because so you really like all that adjacent kind of weird like fantasy, yes, comic booky. Science Is it different? Fiction. Yeah, I never. I was never like it was never my world. Yeah, you know, I just. But I did appreciate it. I appreciated extremeness. Like. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that record was so weird and extreme sounding. Yeah. I haven't heard it in a while. Probably still pretty good. Yeah, it's good. That stuff is raw. It's just, you know, it's very unmetal. It's very more like oi music almost if you yeah. take just the music, you know. And then if you saw the, when I finally saw the picture of the band and they're all like hunched over like cavemen with axes. Yeah. And I was like, all right, <laughs> what's, this, what's the message here? You know, what's, what, you are ever, they, what's, what's, what are they trying to tell us? Did you ever see them? No. Yeah. Did you? Yeah, once in San Diego, I saw them with Slayer, and uh, it was Slayer was incredible. But Venom just sounded like a airplane engine, you know, is yeah. just loud, and you couldn't really distinguish anything. But uh, it was a pretty co- cool show. I met them afterwards and got their autographed on a ticket stub. I never really uh, metal. I never really metal. Just never really. It's just a different groove. That's weird. The only band I, I, I think really of you loved. As such a heavy metal person. Yeah, <laughs> I like listening to it, but the shows were kind of. The one yeah. band, I mean, the Obsessed were hugely yeah, important. Of course, yeah. And actually, I just listened to a live Obsessed tape recently, and I was really moved. I just something about the energy of those shows, like the way the can the people in the crowd they just know every single note of every song, and yeah. they're so appreciative. I remember, you remember Brian Baker was in a band called Junkyard. Do you remember that? Yeah, right. The kind of Guns this N' weird, Roses style. Kind of, yeah, like he used to tell me they would just take songs from double live gonzo and swap two chords and write a new song that way. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but I saw him play in this kind of cheesy club. It was kind of appalling, you know, just coming from where I was. And I said to him, what's it like? He goes, it's so weird. He goes, after being in a punk band, he goes, like you step to the front of the stage and you do this kind of dramatic solo thing. And the people are in the front, just, screaming and throwing like their like fists in the air and their devil signs, all this stuff. And it's not ironic. Right. Because you're genuinely, they're genuinely loved, but you keep thinking like any punk band that would do that would be like, it'd be ironic or people would be like, fuck you, you poser. Yeah. He says, but there's, you're just making people happy. He goes, it's right. kind of nice. Yeah. And I'd, I'd never thought about it before. You know, he says, it's weird. Like they, they come up and yell and they're just, they're happy. 
Yeah, whatever makes you happy. It's true. Yeah, I remember when, like, in San Diego, the punk punk venues and the punk promoters would also put on the early extreme metal shows. So you'd have, I, you know, we'd get in freed all the shows like that Tim Mays put on. And I remember when we saw Anthrax and they were loading in. This is early first album, Anthrax, and they were loading in all these empty Marshall cabinets. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, what the. F- these are just empty. And they're like, yeah, we only need the 100 watt stack, you know? And I was like, that's the difference between metal and punk. Like no fucking punk band would drive around the country with like a bunch of empty Marshall stacks purely for the, you know, uh, drama of it or that whatever. I used the to do a pr- I did production work for years. I used to do like loading in gigs and stuff like that. And right. I did a gig. I did a gig with it was Motorhead, Merciful Fate, Ooh, I love and them. Exciter from Canada. Oh yeah, I saw them too. And- there were so many empty marshals. There wasn't room enough for the stage. And we had to put them outside. It was snowing. We're like, are you worried about the gear? They like, got oh, they're empty. It doesn't matter. It's just a bunch of wood vinyl. <laughs> that show was incredible because Exciter, I don't remember them that well, but Merciful Fate came on and and King Diamond, the singer guy, was yeah. so he had an upside down cross as a yeah. and he was saying all this satanic stuff. And then Motorhead come on and Lemmy comes out. He's like, what the fuck was that? Fuck those guys. He goes, fuck. He goes, upside down crosses. What a bunch of fucking assholes. And then they proceeded to play the loudest music I'd ever heard in my life. Like I was, I was flattened against the wall. It was so loud. It was kind of an incredible show, Motorhead. Um, I don't know how on earth, how they could sustain that kind of assault. Mind-bending. Um, you better look so at your layers. list, dude. We're going too long. This is too long. You know, I, I don't have any list. I mean, really, it's just been, I, I, I wrote a bunch of things, but with you, it's just so easy to just, just go. I mean, so. the thing is like, I don't want to go for four hours. We can no, do another no, one. No, no, no we but can I do Because people would be bummed. I don't want to do that. I don't but, think anyone would be bummed, but yeah, no, but, I, but, I don't want to. It's funny, it's funny to me. Like when I listen to your show, I just say, I always want to be like, oh, and hold on. There's also this, you know? Yeah. And I really enjoyed your one with Star. That was heavy. Oh, thank um, you. Wait, dude, was, I should have heard the stuff intense. that I didn't include. Yeah. And um, <laughs> and the Pete one was really interesting, hearing his – just because I knew Pete in such a – like, I knew him as this yeah. kid, you know, and it's just funny, like, the kind of and – and, and Martin, of course, so great to hear Martin. Um, but I don't know a lot of other people. Like, I know – or I know them very slightly. Yeah. Um, I was really I've moved by your whole, it. your whole, um, uh, Mark, whatever was the guy's name, the whole business about the guy who did the, the Rollins guy. Oh, Mark Sperry. You know, I, I had, that had completely slipped my mind until you started talking. I think you started first started talking about it with, um, was it Martin? Was the first yeah, time we talked about maybe it? Maybe it came up with Martin. Yeah, that's possible. And I had totally forgotten about it. You um, you were aware of him though in the t- at that time. I think I was. I mean, I think I was, but it was maybe Henry even mentioned it too. Henry, oh no, Henry, oh yeah. I talked. I actually asked Henry about it, and he's like, oh yeah, he remembers that guy. Um, he's a nice enough guy, but just weird, and it was just yeah. weird the whole thing. And um, but it was it, it was a, it was heavy because I think in my life, like there's really specific eras in my life, and you forget about how like the. At any given time, there's so much compression um, on the scene, like the, you know, the era of that. And and you kind of, you navigate it. And then a lot of things is sort of just, it comes apart and this disappears and you forget, you know, like their band, like, you know, like you remember like the beat nigs who were like, they were the biggest people obsessed with that band. We forgot to play with them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it was, they were great. But then it was like in San Francisco at that time, I felt like with the Bay area was so like, and then it just sort of like, whew, just sort of just gone, you know, or, um, or even thinking about like the um, IPU or the yo-yos up in Olympia and that. And so that when I go back and kind of like try to reinsert myself in those things, I feel all the kind of um, um, the rough and tumble part of it. Like there was so yeah. much, there's so much politics in the moments. There are so many politics going on and hearing the Sperry thing, it really hit me with that era of like what was going on at that time. And I think I do remember him, but mostly um, I had never seen footage of him. And I looked yeah. at that one video that you guys talked about 
And it just blew my mind, you know, it was really interesting. Um, and it was very interesting hearing you talk to Eugene. Yeah. Well, what I knew what I've met guy. Eugene a few times over the years and he's a yeah, really you mentioned guy. playing with whipping boy. Yeah. A couple of times. And, but it's so strange. I had no clue about all of his other stuff. Yeah. Teaching disco at, you know, these like famous discotheques in Manhattan in the seventies stories. Yeah. Um, yeah. What it's, it's so, but it's very funny. I mean, it makes me in some ways it's, I mean, I know that you and I, of course, we share our birthday, but also I think that we have um, towed the same waters. Like we've kind of been around each other. So there, it would make sense. There's a lot of crossover. Like hearing your thing with Tay was also incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, did you do a part two with him? No, not yet. It was so funny because you never even get to Olympia. No. I know with so many people, I never even get to the... Uh, yeah, there's so much, you know, there's so much to cover with so many people. Yeah. I mean, I plan um, on having almost everybody back for part twos. You know, that's sort of my general idea. It's like yeah. part threes. It is. I'm not a nostalgic guy. and I'm not very sentimental. Or I'm not sentimental, I don't think. And I don't think, you know, like, oh, back in the day. On uh, the other hand, as you said earlier, like I said, if you stick around, then you get to think about things that happened before, you know. And right. so uh, it's interesting. I am interested. Like, I always want to go see old people I know, people I've met or knew, and say, like, what happened? Like, what was that about? You know, just like, what? Because I always think that they, so other people know, they have an understanding um, that I don't, well, I, of course they have an understanding that I don't have, but maybe they can illuminate something that was puzzling to me about what what just happened. You know, right. there was a lot of things that were weird, a lot of weird, you know, maximum rock and roll was filled with weirdness. You know, there was so much Everything weird stuff. So, when you live through history, uh, yeah. uh, history, you remember like, Everything was completely messy, non-linear, bizarre, way weirder, and and uh, yeah, just then then history tends to portray it. It's like this happened, then that happened, and there's these neat little packages, and they interact right. in these ways. But reality is, of course, if you actually live it, you're like, oh, there's just these weird characters coming in and out, and strange things. I look at my own life, and I'm just like, what the fuck was that time about? Like that was just nuts, you know? Right, and also I think that you know, being a a person who's like like having now been a part of, at least in some small way, like a historical kind of era. And, and by that, I mean an era people have talked about and thought about and all that and seeing the way it's been portrayed or remembered even. It's so interesting because you realize how questionable all histories are. Oh, of course. Yeah. Cause there's so weird. And then one thing that I often think about and like, I have this concept and maybe not be exactly the right term, but I, I refer to it as the fucking schematic. Mm-hmm. And like, I think that interpersonal relationships, who people are involved with and how then all that kind of stuff that was going on, which was really happening, that caused seismic movements that none of the participants will ever cop to. They'll say, well, you know, we felt like, you know, our time was up there. We wanted to go there and explore this. Or, you know, it seemed like a good time for the band to stop playing. But really what happened was somebody like the bass player was going out with somebody else's girlfriend or, or boyfriend or, you know, whatever, you know. And yeah. and I think that I started thinking about like, the fucking schematic and how it actually exists. If you read like I read I've read a lot of books about the 60s and all those scenes. And when you really read a bunch of them, you start seeing names of people they're involved with you see the names popping up with other people but they don't mention you think well wait a minute they're all there's so much stuff going on here i realize that this has always been the case that there's this you know relationships and all this this stuff that's going on has really played a role in how the currents like it's what's under the water that's creating the ripples um and then i started thinking about like you know the founding fathers like were they also having problems (laughs) Like what was really going on? Like you know who was it. fucking who? That's what I want to know. You know, who right. um, <laughs> <laughs> was Betsy Ross getting down with? Yeah, under that flag. It's a, yeah. you know, it's a, I think that's the thing about history is that there's it's like you there's the reported history, but the actual history, the real reasons. I don't think they I don't think people even could remember them anymore. They can't because yeah. they've their lives have gone on. They can't remember ever being in the state of mind they were in. Right. You know, and I've talked to some people about 
some relationship stuff and they don't had forgotten entirely about that relationship. Oh, like yeah. just not that they were going out with a person, but that they were maybe had a crush on them and then somebody else had a crush and there was like some conflict conflict. So then they decided to move out of the house. So then the house broke down or whatever it was. And they don't remember any of the conflict. I had that exact thing happen when I was talking with Bessie is uh, like, she was like, well, you remember this whole thing, like between like she and I, and I was like, oh yeah, that whole moment we were talking on outside the Maxim house for like four hours and I was telling you that I love you. And she was like, I'm too, you know, not ready for this right now. And I was going, it all flooded back to me and totally made me waterworks. I was like, yeah, yeah. oh fucking A, I completely erased that from my mind. I, right. I, I was like, no, we were just really great friends and this didn't. And she's like, but don't you remember that? And then Martin was like, oh yeah, there was that time you were heartbroken for like three weeks and you were, and I was like, oh my fucking God, wiped from the hard drive. And then as soon as like I went over it with them, I was like, boom, there it came back and it, just, it totally made me just gulp. And I was like, yeah, it was right. completely and erased. Then, and that, that probably, that exchange you had with her led you to decide to do something not like nothing bad but you just like you went back to your mom so then you didn't go to see some show or huge you didn't, huge you didn't, we, yeah like she and martin and i were going to move to san francisco to take over maximum rock and roll right and martin That's, was the only one who actually went through and did it and because she and i went nope we're not going to do this like right. i'm going to stay here and total life-changing you know thing it's the <laughs> fucking schematic see <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing we're trying to find. It's like when you get to the root and you take the computer apart and you take the case off and all this stuff and you look yeah. down and you're like, Oh my God, there's the thing that, that talks to itself, you know? Totally. That was, that's, uh, that's part of the reason why doing this podcast, you know, there's been so many times where I'm like, why am I doing this? Like what, why I don't want to talk. I don't want to hear my own voice and you know, it's, I'm going to reveal too much. I'm going to make an idiot of myself. I'm going to reveal uh, but, too little and have it be bullshit or whatever. I'm going to lie and, and not know it, you know, but then I was like, I kept, I started, I just, just like took that attitude, the Ian attitude, just do it. Just do the thing yeah. in front of you. Talk to the next person, talk to the next one, correct on your way. And, and through doing it, I started, it revealed like all these conversations that I just would never have had if of I course. hadn't had this reason to, you know, right. like you and I well, wouldn't I'm, be talking today right. if it wasn't for the podcast. I wouldn't just right. call you out of the blue and say, let's talk for you know, however many hours. Well, you could have, I mean, but, I could yeah. have, but I well, probably wouldn't yeah. have. You probably wouldn't have, but I mean, I think I mean, the other thing to think about is like, when is when is the panel of judges going to be assembling? The one yeah. who's going to decide? No one gives a fuck. Being embarrassing as you've you've revealed too much. It's me. There's no panel, right? They're in, they're in yeah. me. Yeah. Right. And then the other thing I was going to say that, like, I never finished my thought about the archive, but one people say, "Why are you doing this? Like, are you just?" Not? And really, it's because people. It gives me a reason to interact with people. Right. They combine. Like someone like Pete was kind of. I think he was sort of like. Like he was, you know, why do you, why are you like, it's so weird you're doing this, like your weird journal thing. But really, it's just funny to, it gives me something to, like when you were saying like, like I can just look it up and read something. It's just not, it's like a way to en engender conversation and connection. And like, I don't, I don't, like, I don't roll in this stuff and think like, oh my God, this is so wonderful. What I really think is it's a reason to interact with people. And 100%. really, I got in a punk to be with people. Right. Like, I, I do my label to be with people. I play music to be with people. That's the point. And then at some point, I just had to decide like, all right, like, like I mean, we're not playing right now, but it's been really enjoyable. Like, I have people come here all the time to see the archives. Right. And it's cool. I'm like, yeah, here, let me show you this. And, and it kind of, usually if they're fans, their, their minds are blown. Right. You no. Know? And I think it's just a joy bringer. Yeah. And that's the highest mission. And I feel like in a way, like you're, I mean, I, well, not in a way, your show is a joy bringer. So like you just, it's just a good thing. You know, I think that you, and, and nobody, nobody has to fucking come to discord house right. and they certainly don't have to listen to the fucking Traeger method. <laughs> they don't even need to support you on Patreon or whatever nope. the fuck you're at. I'm they don't do have it to. anyways. No, right. <laughs> they don't have to, but yeah. I think that the experience it's rich. And I think that, that the, um, the opportunities, I think people really have appreciated certainly your friends. I, th I imagine other people too, but mostly people seem to want to talk to you. Right. Um, so they, it means something to them. It's a way, and, it, and it's funny to hear. And and I think that it's um, 
as an archivist, of course, I would say it's a really valuable um, record because it gives people an opportunity to kind of, if they really want to investigate a particular era or scene, right. I think this is a pretty good one because it's not a bunch of bravado. Right. Yeah, I don't have anything to be bravado about. And and I also, I think also the th- fact that I like have my time was split between Seattle, Reno, San Francisco, San Diego, the whole West Coast, you know, from yeah. Vancouver. I mean, I was like, you know, Duff McKagan was my hero when I was 13, you know, and then, you know, I moved to San Diego and it's like a completely different world, totally different. You know, it's like Italian the Saints, totally different vibes. And, and, you know, and all the people that I've met, it's like, it's just such a beautiful, it's like with your archive, you know, you've got all this stuff and it's like an art project waiting to be, you've got all the right. materials, you got the paint, you got the canvas, you might as well start painting, you know? I agree. And, yeah, I uh, totally agree. And that's the same thing where I go, I have this, I happen to have collected this group of people that I know and that I've interacted with in these experiences and scenes that now are a long fucking time ago. And it was a different time and it's a pre-internet time. It's a, and it's a time where also, like you were saying, the joy bringing thing, like almost more than seeing my friends who have contacted me and said how much they love it, which means a ton, but it's the people like when I'll hear from like, I'm a 21 year old Latina punk from LA and yours my favorite podcast. And I'm like, this kid is seeing like hearing us 50 year olds talking, she loves it. And that makes me feel almost better than even like an old friend loving it is that feeling of like, Oh, somebody who's just interested in another time and another cast of characters. I actually quite love, I don't usually find recordings of people talking about their lives in in this way. Like there's not, it's weird. Again, most podcasts, I feel like when people go on, they're selling something. Yeah. Um, and it could even be the hosts, but they're still selling something, but I wish it was, maybe there is a podcast of like people who are like in the radical sixties underground or, you know, maybe there are, and they're talking about their experiences. I, I would listen to that in a heartbeat, you know, and the internet is a giant ocean and it's sometimes hard to find all the little caves. But, um, I think to the degree that people are. Again, when you're like, I've heard a lot of people talk about like the punk podcast, and it's so often it's it's more like um, just yeah, again, like bravado or talking about how crazy it was back then and kids today. And fuck that, I don't. I mean, punk will never die, yeah. you know. It just it continues. And people say, yeah, where is it now? I go, I go. Let me tell you something. If it was 1981, and like you and I are talking about a scene that was happened 40 years ago. <laughs> Like we're talking about like, you know, swing music. Yeah, Benny Goodman. We just certainly are not seeing minor threat in, Be- in Bessie's backyard. We don't fucking know it exists. So we know the underground. It's underground. That's why we don't see it. Yeah. That's why it's, it's called underground. Yeah. So punk will never die. It may not be called punk, but it'll never die. No, no. No. It's Humans where the new idea resides. It's an yeah. ancient, ancient type. I always think of punk as like folk music slash, you know, people around the campfire, like that era that we're talking about, you know. It's it wasn't about anything other than yeah people getting together making noise for their own for the sheer joy of it, and right. and that's what I was thinking with this podcast was like it's not going to be a linear commercial kind of thing where like I I hit all the punk greats it's like I want to talk to people that nobody's heard of you know I want to talk to like me like me yeah like you <laughs> just, just <laughs> that's why I avoided you for so long I was like I'm not going to talk to you and I'm going to talk to somebody else you still don't have to you don't have to run it I don't I'm care I'm just happy joking. to talk to you I don't I'm, give a I'm, I'm joking 100 yeah. percent you're always in my club always 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 I, mean, I always feel you know I think that the um it is weird because I always just feel like I'm just part of the gang and then people are. are like well yeah and then they're always saying like, oh then there's Ian and I'm like well you know well, you I'm are one me- of those people that does have this unique status amongst all your friends where you are a person who has affected the lives of millions of people, really, through, you know, when you think of straight edge music, all this stuff. And yet you're also just a totally normal person who's just a part of the immediate community and, and not, you know, there's not that many people that occupy those two spaces so naturally and without any kind of, I don't know, bullshit. I think I was always able to sort of realize it. Like I've always said, punk kicked my ass. I only intended to return the favor. Yeah. Oh, that's you know, nice. Music kicked my ass and I intend, you know, I wanted to return that favor. So I feel like when people, like I think music affected millions of people and I may have made some music that played a role in that or billions of people, frankly. Um, 
And I'm glad, you know, I'm, I'm glad to have returned the favor, but I always, when people say, thank you so much for your great music, I go, on behalf of music, you're welcome. <laughs> because Speaking I think that's for really, John Coltrane. Yes. Yeah, you're I really do feel, I feel, I just feel like it's, it's just weird to be thanked. Not that you were thanking me, but just, in, I get thanked a lot and it gets, it's weird. If you're walking on the street and some guy, walk, you're like talking to your, to like your partner and your kid. And then some guy says, Hey, thank you so much. You know, like, you're, and they're super nice people and they're mean sure, only well and then i thought i thought i thought on behalf of music you're welcome and yeah. i feel like because really it's a gift and you know i i think that i was clear in my mind that like it was a gift that was handed to me and i've tried to take good care of it and if you take good care of it it can and you can give it away it'll continue to be you'll still have it it's the people who polish it and sell it that don't have it anymore right you know but if you give it away you take care of it and you give it away you just keep giving it remains with you you just keep on going forward and i think that's sort of i just do i just work like i that's what i do i work on what's in front of me and um i'm never bored uh there's way too many things for me to do that I want to do. And I wake up every day feeling like that. Like what, I, I just, what better I, gift is there than that? You know? you know, and I wish, you know, I wish, I do wish that we could all see each other. Um, I do think that the IPU was really one of the most incredible things that ever, like music events I ever was a part of. Life-changing um, for me. That was a true like music festival. Like it just felt like the whole town was, I feel like we are on a stage set or something. Um, yeah, really I was thinking too about how that that happened like right before Nirvana broke and and the yep. sort of you know like it was that sort of almost that that arc where it was like this whole thing is just about to go sort of be discovered as a through from for the corporations you know but it was still in that time where it hadn't really happened yet you know I had this vision I used to have this vision that corporations would fly helicopters um, over like over the mountains, through the valleys and the dales looking for fertile ground. Yeah. And they might see something. Hold on a second. Let me get rid of this phone call. I used to think that corporations like the music, they would fly their helicopters with spotters looking for fertile, fertile ground. And then, they would, if they saw, they would descend down to, into the farmers and offer them ridiculous amounts of money for their land. And then they would just, just rape the land, you yeah. know, just take everything out of it until there was nothing left. And yeah. then they just go to the next Valley. And, um, and that's the way I felt like at the time I felt like that's what's going on. Like they're just flying over and they saw, Oh my God, look, there's, that's a really fertile ground. And they just yeah. dropped in and they like the Valley of Seattle and they just fucking went in there and just like, took it all you know um i often i used to say you know you know seattle took a hit for us you know because they did you know they they flew over the the really for the most part i mean jawbox and shutter think sign but generally speaking we were just there was no commercial we didn't have anything here for them and i i can remember i think i think i feel like the nirvana guys were they i think they did come to ipu i think they were around I can't remember. I think they might have been out of town actually for some doing some show or some for some reason. I remember at that point. I think Dave had joined the band at that point. I mean, of course, I'd known them before, but you know, when they did Bleach and all that. And um, I remember Dave came by Discord with the tape and he goes, Yeah, we've been recording. And he played this song and it was Teen Spirit. I go, That's a really good, that's going to be a hit. But I really was saying like it's going to be a hit, like a naked ray gun was going to be a song. Was yeah, going to yeah, be a hit. right, right. And then we went to Australia. We were on tour, and we got into Australia in '91, our first trip. And everywhere we went, they're playing that Nirvana record. Everywhere, we're like, what is happening? Yeah, that was insane. I remember when you told me Dave Grohl had joined uh, Scream, and you were like, "There's this kid who plays drums, so amazing! He screams, new drummer. This guy is incredible. Yeah, he's just, amazing. Yeah, it just reminded me of that. Like, I was like, oh yeah. Did Nirvana ever stay at the Discord house? Nope. No. I have. I've actually. I told talked to Dave about this not so long ago, but there was a you know Joe and I were playing, and we had played with um, Colin Sears from Dag Nasty, the drumming, and then he left to go back to Dag Nasty, and then Brennan played. But he's just sitting in and playing, and he wasn't sure if he really wanted to do it. He was also in Happy Go Licky, and he was didn't know what he wanted to do. So we were look kind of looking around for other drummers, and I actually talked to Dave. I ran to him at a show, 
And I go, what are you up to? Are you still playing in Dane Bramage? He's like, no. I go, yeah. I said, oh, cause you, did you want to like, you want to get together and jam? He's like, totally. He go, I go, I mean, what are you, are you doing anything? He's like, well, I'm playing with the scream guys. And I'm like, oh yeah. Whoa. I was like, because yeah, I can't, yeah. Grab they, their drummer. Yeah. You can't grab a drummer. Right. So I was like, oh no, no, no. Like you should do your, like you're playing with, with Pete and those guys. Like you do that. So I was telling Dave the story and he was like, what? So what, I wasn't good enough to be in Fugazi. He goes, fuck you. And I said, I said, um, actually, I think the words you're looking for are thank you. I go, I'll tell you something. If you were in Fugazi, you wouldn't have been stranded in LA because your bass player disappeared. You wouldn't have been like broke and stranded in LA when Kurt called. And he's like, oh yeah. <laughs> he goes, thank you. <laughs> Another case of those, uh, yeah, history. Uh, yeah. Just you just don't know. No, you don't know. You just don't know. All you can do is follow. One thing just reminded me, one time I remember I jammed with Brendan and Joe in the basement on your guitar and your Marshall. Yeah. And and I remember, yeah, just like going upstairs. And when you guys started practicing later, I heard you guys playing Back in Black. Did you ever, like, because of course, for guys, you're not a band you think of as playing covers. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh. You know, we not, never played a cover. No, you never played a cover. But actually, I no, thinking, I'm the only time we ever. I remember we played. I mean, there was a, some illusions occasionally. We would do is like, like sometimes in the end of reprovisional, we would kind of go into our weird version of um, Roadrunner. Oh, uh huh. We just kind of, kind of, we just kind of make hints at songs. Yeah. But I remember we did a show with um, Bikini Kill and in, uh, in Isla Vista. We played this. Um, building it was a club i think it's called the anaconda maybe Does that sound right to you you're in a place right. called that yeah it, and it was a right. it was a, it was a in a building that was formerly a bank of america and it was the bank of america that the weather underground or somebody blew up it was that building mm-hmm. anyway we did this show bikini killer opening and they we were sound checking when they got there and they walked in and they were in the front and we played farmer john by the premieres right which we used to always kick around because it's one of my favorite songs. We just played it. It's Louis, played Louis, it right? Isn't it essentially Louis, Louis, but with a different. It's similar. Yeah. I mean, it's all, yeah. Everything's all those songs are essentially yeah. Louis, Louis. Sure. Um, but yes. And, uh, but we always, when we play that <clears throat> in Fugazi in practice, we would play that. We would play that. And we played, um, where Eagles dare by the misfits. Oh, funny. Great, greatest song ever. And, um, yeah, it really is. So anyway, they walked in and we did farmer John and, um, they just started dancing. They're just by themselves on this empty dance floor. And I think Kathleen said to me later on, she's like, why don't you guys do that live? It's so great. <laughs> like, I don't really do covers, you know, but back in black, you know, I got, I got that record, uh, the album in 1980 when it came out and I was so masterpiece mesmerized by it. Yeah. Is that um, part of what made you be an SG, uh, Marshall straight in guy? I don't think so. Um, I think the SG, for me, probably was more Pete Townsend at Woodstock. Mm. Um, and uh, the Marshall was Lyle Pressler. Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, he had such a great guitar tone. He's the great, Lyle was the greatest guitar player. People, such a, yeah, really stood no, out. I mean, just so fast, so precise. So his rhythm rhythms were incredible. Um, and I think, I mean, you may have heard this board, but he actually played full six, six string bar chords the entire time. I watched an interview with him and he was talking about that nuts, you know, yeah, and hitting all the strings, you know, yeah, like, he really, he played everything and it's in, incredible. What it, so many and I, fans I, then were like the yeah. two fingers, you know, like the, I mean, now you know? I'm yeah. still that way. Yeah. You know, I mean, I play weird chords, but only because I've never learned how to play proper chord. I just make up my own chords, but the, uh, Belial was really God. He was such an amazing guitar player. And, uh, you know, of course, being in the band at the time, I didn't know. First of all, I had my back to them for the most part. And I was just busy screaming at other people. And, and, then, and then when we were practicing, we were just yelling at each other anyway and a lot of arguing going on. But when I, um, in some point in the early 2000s, I was putting together this, the Meyer Threat DVD, which was the 930 show, show video of us at 930 a video of us at DC space and a video of us at the buff hall in, in uh, Camden, New Jersey. Oh, yeah. Right. So I spent a lot of time edit, working on that and getting it edited and watching the band. And I had reached a point that, you know, this is an early 2000s. So I had been playing in Fugazi. I played guitar for years. I mean, I'm, 
And it was the first time I ever watched the band from a distance. Mm. And I thought it's, it's like another, like, it's like aliens, how good those guys were. Like they were so Jeff Nelson's drumming is so crazy and everybody was so good, but I couldn't, not, I didn't know that. Yeah. Like it was, they were just an incredibly good band. They did. I'm talking about the three of them. Or the four was Steve when he was playing bass, but they're just so phenomenally good. I mean, I know now what it takes. Right. Um, I just didn't at the time. I had. I just. I just didn't know. You know. I just. Yeah, it's what you had, but man, yeah, and that's and you know that's the reason those songs are so. I mean, the songwriting itself too is what uh, makes this stuff so timeless. There's very few things that are as listenable as Minor Threat from that era, where like today I put on and I'm like, this. Is it's a put it in that category of like Ramon songs and stuff. Like they mm. just they don't age, you know. They sound kind of yeah, futuristic and, and also your lyrics, you know, the fact that you didn't you know, you know, you always had lyrics that were timeless, not I never uh, seated them with anything, yeah. You never did the Reagan, you know, type things and yeah. It's funny, I really I think I do I go back to a lot of those records. I still love all those most early records. Um like you know, big boys or oh yeah. That you know or misfits or, or, or whatever, you know, I just kind of get, um, there Bad are some religion. bands that are less, less, they don't grab me as much, but sure. it's funny. One thing about listening to your podcast, which I've gotten kind of got a kick out of, you are some West coast centric people. I'm a West coast guy. I know, but bottom. it's so funny when you think about it, like there's like such a delineation, like the East coast reality and the West coast, like I straddle, cause I did so much time, sure. um, out there and i'm really knew a lot of people but it's so interesting because most people you talk to are west coasters right and everyone just talking serious west coast stuff and yeah um it's really interesting because a band and it was so much more regional you know yeah fascinating to me to hear could i always like wait for like you know what about some of them what about fugazi or or my you're like well anyway yeah no no but no but not not about your guess but what you guys talk about oh yeah Mm, right you guys just go so hard on the West Coast stuff, yeah. Um, which I, I love that. It's cool. Yeah, it's, it's all tribal. Much, it is very tribal. It's very West Coast. Yeah, in my life, it's like from Seattle to San Diego and everything in between, and Tijuana and Vancouver too. You know, those are both big too. But yeah, it's so West Coast. I mean, I never lived on the East Coast. Never did it, but you know, I'm not. Well, ju- judging by the way you're dressed right now, you couldn't hack it. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wearing a scarf and my, my sparkly beret. Yeah. Yeah. No, um, no, no I probably right, we should it. knock on the head. I, yeah, I would talk to you was, all fucking day and yeah. I don't, and good, I don't, again, this could be, if it's usable, great. If not great, I don't care. I just no. love seeing you. I love talking to you. doesn't, as, you know, it doesn't matter to me. Um, as do I No, this is gonna, this is gold. Uh, it's wonderful to talk to you and yeah. uh, it's warmed my heart and done me very well. And yeah, I just love you, Ian. I love you too. I'm so, I, I was so, I said, I said, I gotta be number, I want to be number 50. Yeah. I you're, feel, you're, you like that. St- you're about those anniversaries. Wasn't, uh, what was discord's 50th skewballed? Yeah, it was. Yeah. I'm yeah. on every record that ends with the zero. Oh, okay. And, and then number 10 is out of step. 20s, egg hunt, 30s, Fugazi, 40s, Fugazi, 50s, skewballed, 60s, Fugazi, 70s, Fugazi, 80s, Fugazi, 90s, Fugazi, 100 is a teen idols demo. 110 is Fugazi. 120 might be evens. I don't remember. Yeah, I'm on everyone with Injury the Zero anyway. Well, we'll definitely have you on for the 100th, if not before. Yeah. But I think that, you know, again, I, I hope yeah, it's funny. And when I was this morning, I was coming out, I was like, I, you know, I got to remember all the things I wanted to tell them about. I've listened to you. I was going to try to make a list of all the on your shows of things I wanted to like. Here's another way of looking at this, you know, but I forgot to do that. So, oh well. Yeah. You just had to yeah. talk fresh. Yeah, it's fresh, and but I'm sure there'll be a plenty of controversy from this that people say that's bullshit. What was he talking about? It wasn't a duster; it was a scamp. It was not a fucking <laughs> scamp. It was a I, 1970 Plymouth duster. I know what the fuck it was. I had a 70 scamp, and it was they're basically the same car. Same it's car, just, yeah. yeah it's, Plant six engine. Yeah, super. Yeah, my transmission fell out on I five. Tragic. I remember I had a situation where I was having a leak, a radiator. Um, my car kept overheating, so I took it to the guy, and they said, "Looks like your um, there's some plug or something." They had, they go, that, that, "That thing's out." I'm like, "That's not right." Like, you put the coolant and just spill out on the on the ground. That's not right. And the guy had pulled the plug off the block, and 
And I remember thinking like, you motherfucker. But then I realized, oh, I can put it back in. That's what's incredible about those cars. Those cars are so <laughs> simple. Yeah. You're looking at like a VW bus. It's like, okay, there's that tube goes to that part. Yeah. No computers, you know. <laughs> it's amazing. Really. Yeah. I love the. I really did love those cars, you know. And it's amazing to think that like just I, the, you know, my brother and I were just like, okay, let's go. And we just got and just started yeah. driving. I still see those things on the road. There's some in my neighborhood. There's a copper colored one I see every day. It's a, a, a duster, you know? Yeah. They're eternal. And I haven't had a car in 10 months. I've been I, driving my bike and getting rides from people. So winter's coming. I think I'm going to keep on riding the best I can. Good. The earth thanks you. Yeah. I'm just feel. I just also just, I hate buying cars and oh, yeah, I figure horrible. when it's time, it'll show up. But at the moment, yeah. yeah. The other thing about it that I've realized that if you, well, first off, riding a bike is really nice. It's a long, hard, it's a bit of a hard ride, but I've been getting rides from people and I, I visit, I get a chance to talk to them. Right. Old friend who I'd never, I never see, I never spend time with people ever. So it's like, it's so great. Like I can get a ride with you. And then like, sure. And then we just talk the whole time. Like, well, that's a nice little silver lining. Yeah, absolutely. And the other day I just, you know, I lived in this, I don't live in this house. But I've, I've been at this house discord for 40 years. And I was stuck out here the day that everyone who cross street had left. I didn't have a bike. I was like, ah, I guess I could take the subway into town. It takes an hour and 15 minutes. I don't want to do that. But I was getting ready to do it. And I thought, maybe there's a bus I could take. They take me to the other subway that would be a little more direct. So I did some research on the trip planning thing. And it turned out there's a bus that picks up a half a block, literally 50 feet from my front door. <laughs> and you take it. And the next stop is downtown Washington. You didn't know. I'd never known about it. <laughs> I got home in like 30 minutes on a fucking bus. I couldn't believe it. You're done with cars then. Fuck it. Maybe. And then I had a great, on the bus up 16th street, I was just talking to the driver the whole time. And I was like, this couldn't have happened if I didn't, if I had a car, I would never, I would have driven right past it all. That's so Life awesome. is rich. Life is rich. All right. Much love to you. Much love, Good luck to you. With whatever you. you're going to do with this thing. And we'll talk again. Yeah. I'll, I will uh, send you links. Of course. All right, brother. Love you. Bye. Life is rich indeed, isn't it? Thank you, Ian, for speaking with me. Thank you, dear listener, for listening. It means the world to me. We'll be back again next week with a new guest and a new episode of the Traeger Method podcast. Stay tuned for that and many more to come. Have a great week. Goodbye.